Did you find that your the, the hair in your nose and ears grows with a ferocity that you wish your hair in your head would grow? Because mine is ridiculous. I'm like three times a week trimming it now in the nose, just like. Every time I look at it, there's another one sticking yeah. out, basically. No, I don't. I don't have that with ears, but nose hair is appalling. Yeah. yeah. Appalling. yeah. And, and I do. I must admit, I'm prone to the old pluck. I've got a trimmer, but I tend prone to the old pluck. And every yeah. time, I'm like, fucking, why did I do that? My eyes are watering. And I've got, I've got a thing. Old man can, old man can attest to this. I've got this thing. It's called repetitive sneezing syndrome. Oh yes. I can't yeah. sneeze once. I sneeze a minimum of like five times, and sometimes I can go up to into the up to high teens, even up to twenties, and it always makes me fucking sneeze. And I don't know why I do it. It's awful. I tr- I've only got I've got two hairs in this ear, and both times I feel it, I get my wife to do it very, very sexy. I'll put my finger in there, and, you can, and I can feel the hair, and it's like it's connected to my brain. Because once <laughs> I know it's there, I can't think of anything else until it's out. And I play it like get a pair of tweezers, can't get it out, can't get it out, and then wife comes to the rescue basically. But and also it's usually like a good centimeter all curled up when I finally get it out. So obviously some of that's in the root. But yeah, yeah. sorry, a, a grim tangent there for you. I mean, that's why you get married, isn't it? It is really, yeah. yeah trim, your, trim your ear hair. <laughs> but also, uh, we were talking about like trimming those hair. If you've ever used a trimmer, what happens is that the hair then doesn't stop stuff coming out of it. So you'll have like a few days where stuff will, yeah. like if your nose starts running, it will just run. It doesn't get caught up in the hair. Yeah. You're fucked. Do you know what? we should really do a hair-based podcast? We spend so much fucking time talking about it. From the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Hello, everybody. I'm Rod Tronga here at ringside with the call of the action. Super Clash number two this May second, nineteen eighty-seven. So I'd just like to give uh, give you guys an opportunity to, to visit our social medias at RW social medias. Please, bloody hell! I've lost the ability to talk, lads. So I'd like to give you guys the opportunity to visit our social media. Fucking <laughs> 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 I hope that I hope that leaves some of this stuff in. Oh, he's gone. It's, it's going to be the beginning. I know what he's going to do. He's going to fuck me by putting all of my cock up at the beginning. <laughs> Medial, Jesus. Uh, fucking remedial host, more like it. bladders out ladies and gentlemen it's the random wrestling review you may have noticed this is a different voice from my beloved host tinky he's taken a few weeks off to do some top-notch parenting and let's hope he's more ray mysterio than vince mcmahon in this regard i'm tom smith and i'm very much the anvil to tinky's hitman and i've got a bulldog and a loose cannon with me today and it's up to you listener to figure out which is which first of all we've got someone who co-hosts a weekly podcast about wrestling i've never really, really listened to much of that he said and what he has i've never really enjoyed anyway it's old man <laughs> sam perry all right chucks how you doing mate you all right I'm doing all right, lad. I'm doing all right. It's, uh, it's a bit weird, isn't it, this? Because it normally normally we've got a naked host and Tom is wearing a Brett the Hitman Heart t-shirt. Well, funny you say that, because not only am I wearing a Brett the Hitman Heart t-shirt, but so is our co-host today. So flanking me on the other side of the announced desk is the only man who loves the output of Bill Watts more than good old JR. He's the host of the excellent <laughs> Mid-South Moments podcast. It's Steve Coriander. I took a guess at your surname because I didn't know what it was. No, it's <laughs> fine. Surname redacted is what I'm trying to trying to, to, keep, to keep to these days because you know you never quite know who's snooping, do you? But yeah, I'll take Coriander. It's better than my actual surname. So yeah, Steve. Cor- <laughs> that's that's going to become my podcasting name from now. Steve Coriander. I like I like it a lot. Yeah. 
Good stuff. I actually, um, it's funny you say about having your name redacted because I was tempted to do that right at the beginning. Mm. But my name is so generic, being Tom Smith, that no one can find yes. me on any social media anyway because there's so many of us. So it's lovely. It is, um, yeah. <laughs> also, I was just thinking, I guess if I cast us as Brett, Bulldog, Anvil and Pillman, then I guess our troopers and Matt need to fight it out to see which one's Owen. I couldn't find any six-person stables that I could think of. And there aren't many, as far as I'm aware. Not even the horsemen as biggest may have had six. May have had six, but either way, it wouldn't have been very good because someone would have had to have been Steve McMichael and no one wants that. So I guess there's some that are more, aren't there? Like Bullet Club springs to mind, but yeah. I can't think of exactly six. No, no. And also, being the fact that I don't watch New Japan, I wouldn't have had a clue about that anyway. How many people were in the ministry? Oh, loads. More than six, I'm sure. Well, because it was the Ministry of Darkness and then the corporate ministry, and that was when it all got out of hand, wasn't it? So the Ministry of Darkness, you would have Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Midian, the Acolytes, and was there there another one? Was there that five? I mean, in fairness, I'm close to being correct. There were ten. So we've got the Undertaker, Leader, Shane McMahon, Ministries Mole with the Corporation, uh, Bradshaw and Farouk, the Bodyguards, not to be confused with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, uh, Midian, fully clothed Midian at this point, but disappointing, the spinning ass kick himself, Viscera, and the Brood, so Edge Christian in Gangrel, and the Big Show. The Big Show isn't there, I don't remember that in the slightest. He had his terrible little plat. Mm. when he was in the ministry because nothing says the devil's work more than a plat if someone said to you old man you can have hair again but for a year you've got to walk around with the with the big show plat are you you taking that well in fairness i wouldn't want hair again because i look much better with a exposed dome than i did with hair but if it was like you've got to, I think that would be repulsive enough because it'd be flapping about on the back of my neck. Nobody likes stuff on the back of my neck. That'd be disgusting, uh, wouldn't it? Yeah, constantly. Yeah, there. and like going out for like a run or something and you get a bit sweaty and then it's just flapping around. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's making me feel a bit sick, actually. Do you know what? Long- <laughs> no, no, away from it, away from it. Have either ever had long hair, like properly long hair in your life, too? So yeah. I only had one one sort of very brief experience this, and it's it's a little bit bad taste actually the story, but I suppose it's probably the right place this podcast for this. So on my stag do, I was made to dress up as China, but China died about four weeks before my stag do, so it was actually really really bad taste. Uh, but they didn't know that, they didn't know that because they weren't wrestling fans. But I tell you what, it was in my Mar- Marbella classic sort of British abroad stag do. But the wig, I was so hot under that thing. I think girls with long hair, like I'm a, quite a bad sweater anyway. So I think I'm, I'm not, I'm probably, I'm not too far behind pe- uh, catching you up, Sam, to be honest with the old hair. So uh, yeah, I'll be there before. But then COVID times, I did shave my hair off and I quite like the lack of needing to do anything with it. So I suspect you're probably in that place as well, aren't you? So honestly. The first, like, it took me a while to get used to it. It took me a couple of months to, like, properly accept the fact that this isn't coming back. And uh, after that, like, getting out of the shower, wipe on the head, drip dry everything else on the balcony. <laughs> no, it's too easy. Well, it's a little bit, it was quite a tough time for me as well, because I'd spent basically the best part of two years ragging on old man for his thinning hair, and then I didn't have any material afterwards. <laughs> Appalling. So that's our obligatory hair chat or old man's boldness <laughs> chat of the week uh, gone. It's a timely reminder to check us out on social media accounts at RWIPodUK on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook and YouTube. Also, please uh, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from as it helps widen our listenership. So Tinky usually poses an opening question. I've not done that this week. Um, because Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, Triple H announced his retirement. But what I'm currently doing is bringing another game 
out of retirement, and it's the return of the game. Oh, lovely. Oh. Pen, paper, come on. Make sure you grab your pen, your paper, gaff tape your bollocks to the table and get ready for this, all right? I've done so bad in these the two times I've been on the podcast before, so I look forward to being humiliated again. Right. This is an absolute doozy, though. So what I've got now, I saw a little bit of a twist on the game, actually. It's it's, a, it's a, the Fanta Fruit twist of games, if you will. What I've got is I want you to name me Canadian professional wrestlers, which is fitting considering the T-shirts that Stephen and I have got on. But what I've done is I've attributed points to them as well. So if it's an obvious one, then it's one point. If it's a less well-known one or one that you don't know or you wouldn't isn't commonly known as being Canadian, you get two points. And if it's someone that I've never heard of, you get three points. Okay. The winner of the game will get five points and then the tally, the, the point score will be tallied up. Is that confusing enough for everyone? No, I love it. it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Brilliant. So I was going to do heads or tails, but I don't have a coin on me because no one carries cash anymore. So I'm going to go with the guest first. Who is your first selection? Let's go El Fantasmo. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. You did say extra points for someone, you know, a bit more an obscure one. Perfect. I didn't even know he was on there. So, yep, that's correct. Uh, I will go El Generico. Wow. Well, uh, okay. I'm going to go for Sam. I'm going to put that as Sami Zayn. Yeah. It's what they uh, go by, what they are on the list of Canadian wrestlers on Wikipedia. I think that this is going to be harder than it sounds, I think. So I'm going to start going for well-known ones. So why don't we go Bret Hart out of the way? Obviously, the man on both of our shirts. I may as well go for Owen then. Lovely. Yep. Um, Let's go Rowdy Woody Piper. Yep, he is on there. Notoriously fraudulent Scotsman, Rowdy Woody (laughs) Piper. Uh, I will go... If I could be serious for a minute, I'll go Lance Storm. So these, apart from the first one, you've all given me one point so far. One point answers. Uh, Kenny Omega. That, I've given a two point now because I didn't know he was Canadian. Uh, we may as well uh, do the double and it gets fellow Winnipegger, Jericho. Winnipegger, yep. little peg boys. <laughs> little peg boys. Little, <laughs> little peg boys. The the yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's go Edge. He is. I've spelt. I've absolutely horrifically spelt Edge there. Was it Edge? Uh, no, it started with an S. Incidentally. <laughs> Edge. Oh uh, man. I'll go Christian then. Yeah, Christian Cage. If we're going to use his full name. Um, it pains me, but Chris Benoit. Yeah, sorry, well, I brought everything down a bit. Ultimately, it's the points that are on the board here, mate. You've got. To, yeah. Don't worry about the the awful atrocities that someone may have committed. Right. So, some things are more important in life. <laughs> Trish Stratus. Oh, what, this is male. Male. Oh, is it? I'm afraid so. I failed to mention that. All right, cool. Oh, fucking hell, I'm in trouble then. Uh, Jacques Rougeau. Oh, yes. Oh, that's really good. Um, I was going to go with everyone's favourite aviator wearer, Bruce Hart. Oh, oh that's <laughs> fantastic. The only problem is I've got no fucking idea how to spell Rougeau, so bear me two seconds. I'm, I'm running behind. I've Jacques absolutely Rougeau. butchered it. I've got R-O-U. G-E-O-U-A. There's no way it's an A at the end. <laughs> There's R-O-U-G-E-A-U. That, is. Wow. that was old man. You went for old fucking dick face Bruce Hart. Uh, yep, there he is. He's on there. That's a two-pointer, that is. Oh, nice. Which one to go for? I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll go for Stu Hart then. Yes, he's a two-pointer as well, old man. Your first one. Yeah. Uh, let's go Raymond Rougeau. Oh, that's... Oh, I couldn't remember. What so the other guy's name was. Yeah, thank God for that, yeah. I thought this was going to be a sham if he wasn't on there. Um. Oh, no. 
Oh no. Oh, Sylvan Grognier. Fucking phenomenal. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> fucking boy. I, I was praying for Sylvan Grognier. That's another two pointer, old man. Yeah, that should be about eight, mate. I'm, I'm struggling here, so I'm going Rene Dupree in their response to that. Oh, oh, beautiful. Again, one of my favourites. Another two pointer. Oh. Come on, old man. You got this. I don't know whether I have. Uh, Smith Hart. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a three pointer. Oh, yes. Oh, Smith Hart. Is he the fine? No, it's That's... Keith, Keith oh. Hart. Does he count? Yep. He's oh, the... it's <laughs> I was just like, I was like, no, that's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it's intense, boys. It is. Um, like, at what point are we going to get to where you're just saying names in front of hearts? <laughs> um, I'm going to have to shut one out now, I think. Just, I can't get around my head. Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Oh, okay. I don't know what his real name was, so bear with us a second. It's purely because it's called Jean-Pierre Lafitte, but I am oh, convinced. Yeah, that P- PCO, basically. Yeah, so here's a singles wrestler, Ule, I think it's spelled. So, right, bear me two seconds. This is Pierre Carl PCO. Yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, yeah. He must be with that name. If he's not, he's living a fraudulent lifestyle. Okay, so he's not under PCO on this list. God, I'm so fucking tense. Yep, there he is, mate. That's a three point there, because I didn't know who he was. I'm going Dino Bravo. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Why so fast as well? Uh, I've got him fuck. down. I've got Dino Bro. Hang on, old man. Hold on to your fucking boots. Oh, I, I can't. I fucking can't. That's a two point there for Dino. Val Venus. Yep. Oh, that's really yes. good. Um, Earthquake. Oh, my God. You guys are going too quick for me. Hang on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to just fucking pack it in. That's too good. That's too I good. I thought you were going there after Dino Bravo, to be honest, but. Nah. Yeah. So Dino Bravo is a two pointer, old man. Yes. And then, no, no, it was Stevens. So Val Venus was yours. Yeah. Obviously. And then we've got uh, the Earthquake, or John Tenter actually is on it. I, I also put him I put him down as a one, actually. And the main reason I did, because I forgot he was Canadian, until I thought about him being known as the Canadian Earthquake as yes. Dino Bravo. <laughs> Kevin Owens. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's a one. Um, This is struggle now. Um, did David Hart Smith? Well, we said David Hart Smith. No, we haven't. And mate, was he born? That is a great shout, Davy Boy Smith Jr. Born in Canada, born in Calgary. Was he really? Wow. Yep. That's a two pointer. Well, I'll go Tyson Kidd then. Yeah, there he is. He's on there. He's a one pointer though, mate. Uh, that's all right. That's fine with me. Um, Canada Canadians, come on. Who else is there? Um, I don't want to. I think I'm tapping out. I think. Yeah. Mm. How about the the stomper that was that was in Bret Hart's one of Bret Hart's DVDs? I don't know what his full name is, but that's definitely <laughs> definitely he definitely worked in Stampede. Maybe Archie something. Right, let's have a look. I'm looking on Wikipedia for the stomper wrestler Archie. Oh my god, mate! Fucking hell! That is Archie Goldie. Oh, go on, Goldie. Yeah, that's my name. And my cat. <laughs> yeah. And he is not on this list. He was born. Hang on, he must be. His full name's Archibald. That's magnificent he's not on this list but the problem is there could be numerous names he was known as the mongolian stomper let's have a look for him is he canadian yeah oh in that case just give it to him yeah there we go and that's that's gonna have to be a three-pointer because he's so sure that he's not even on the list (laughs) Um, 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 i'm gonna go don Callis. oh mate Mm, that's really good that's a two-pointer how did you even know that because he did a podcast, a very brief, short-lived podcast with 
Limestone. Listen um, to one episode. It wasn't very good. <laughs> um, I think I'm out. I think I'm out. Well, you've tapped that. So old man is the is the is the winner of that section of the game. However, so old man, you've got 28 points. Yes, that's, that's my including, age. That's including. <laughs> That's including your bonus five, right? And Stephen, you have got 22, which uh, means that Old Man is the winner of the return of the game. Now, what I did want to quickly do is just talk about some of the ones that aren't on there that you haven't mentioned, because there's a couple of there's a couple of absolute stinkers. So apparently, Abdullah the Butcher is Canadian, uh, hmm. as is Brock Lesnar, apparently. Oh, he's got Canadian citizenship. Yeah, I suppose. Dual yeah. citizenship. You missed out on um, Phil LaFon and Doug Furness. Don't know if anybody else yeah. yeah, Evil sure. Evil Uno from the Dark Order, apparently is Canadian. Rugged Ronnie Garvin is Canadian. There's a couple of hearts you missed out. You missed out on Dean Hart, Matt Hart. <laughs> And Ross Hart and Teddy Hart, the infamous one. Teddy there. Hart, I thought about that earlier on, yeah. We've also got uh, Rocky Johnson, who's apparently uh, uh, Canadian. Gene Knitsky, we've got, there's a guy called Ski High Lee, which immediately made me think of Ski Low and the, the classic pop hip hop song, I Wish, which was uh, which is a good one. <laughs> oh, that was on Kiss Street this morning, actually, that song. It was really good, yeah. Absolutely banger. There's also, um, yeah, there's also Jinder Mahal, Canadian. Santino Morella, not yeah. Italian at all. Rick um, Martel. Rick Martel, old man. Yeah. Tom, Z- Tom Zenk. Oh, no, not Tom Zenk. He was the am in the Can-Am connection, wasn't he? And I'll be honest, old man, <laughs> I'm absolutely shocked that you did not get Principal Richard Pound, because I know he's one of your favourites. <laughs> Big Pound. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one that was a uh, one that kind of stuck out was Jason Neidhart. Presumably, he's the, uh, in relation to Jim Danville. And uh, yes, yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of there's another guy called Sexy Eddie, which maybe think of bottom. Pat Patterson, Tiger Ali Singh as well is apparently Canadian. And yeah, so there's there's a lot of Test was a big one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Test. Vampiro. I mean, I don't know if anybody really cares about him, but apparently there's there's a Von Eric that I've never heard of called Waldo Von Eric. I don't think he's probably a member. Oh uh, no, that was the fa- was the fake Von Eric when I one I can't remember at what point Von Eric passed away. It was certainly after David. They brought in a I think probably after Mike as well. They brought in a fake Von Eric and it got really bad publicity in um in <laughs> Dallas. So yeah, not great. Yeah, it was it's a, a terrible bit of booking from uh, old old Fritz. Also, Lanny Poffo. How yeah. does that work? I don't know. Well, I guess guess maybe they're on holiday, perhaps. Yeah, born in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, the little the little genius slipped out of Mrs. Poffo, and there we go. Randy had a brother. Um, wow. Anyway, that's moving on from the game. That was that was fun. I'm glad you guys. Excellent. So the show we are talking about today is AWA Super Clash Two from the Cow Palace in San Francisco. It was on the 22nd of May 1987. The attendance. This is rough, lads. The attendance 2,800 out of a capacity of 16,500, and you can tell can't you you can it's time for us to talk about our hopes and fears before we go into our individual topics old man what are your hopes and fears of this show so i thought this was going to be all right you know i thought i know we had awa christmas night on christmas night and that was kind of good in spots but not altogether amazing but i had a sneaky little feeling this was going to be decent i must say when i started playing it and it was two hours 40 minutes i did kind of think i was like i hope it's decent because otherwise that's going to be a tough old shift but I was pretty up for this. Stephen, how about you? <laughs> um, I was sort of looking forward to watching something a bit different, though I didn't have massively high expectations for this AWA in 87. They're, they're a few, what, three years from their death. But yeah, I was kind of middling expectations. I, I suppose that's kind of the advantage of not knowing anything about AWA. 
mm. is that I was just like, there's going to be some people, I might recognise some of them. But apart from that, I mean, there's some cracking athletes on here. Yes. Uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of slightly ropey ones as well. But <laughs> It definitely made me think at times that I could have been a pro wrestler back in 1987. <laughs> Certainly in this promotion, I think. Yeah, it's like, I, ha- I had heard from somewhere and perhaps this is getting too far forward, that some of the work rate in AWA wasn't amazing, apparently. And I felt that a lot during this, but I don't mm. want to get too, too ahead of ourselves here. My hopes and fears. Um, so like old man said, we did, we'd already done an AWA show. Um, the last one was just from one camera angle. So I was a little bit concerned about that because it was obviously just a filmed house show, whereas this is obviously more of a more of a super show. So uh, hopefully I was, I was looking forward to that. I knew that it was going to be very sports-like in terms of its presentation. There's not going to be much shenanigans, not much, um, not much daft things going on in there. Uh, like or, or over the larger than lifestyle characters like you kind of get in the WWE at this time I thought there'd be some proper dad bods on display and some very underwhelming finishes the thing that I really wanted to see was a magnificently moustached Scott Hall because I know that he was in the AWA earlier in his career but I think it must have been probably slightly after this because why you keep him off the card based on some of the other people who are on this card <laughs> if he was there but what I will say and I don't want to go too far ahead but in terms of moustaches the chic more than made up for that so I was okay with that <laughs> so um we go talk points. We go you, Steve, first. What is your talking point about this? So I've got show? two pretty quick ones actually. One that you touched on already. Firstly, how is it that for my three appearances on this show, I reckon I've watched three of the worst wrestling shows in history? Had Armageddon '99, Super Bowl Six, and then this. Again, we're getting a bit far ahead, and we'll talk about obviously what happened on this show. But is it some sort of is it a conspiracy theory between you two, Matt and Ben? This is an absolute shit show. We've watched it already. It's terrible. Let's get him on again. Because I would have loved to have done WrestleMania 10. I was listening to that thinking I wouldn't have skipped the Bret Hart thing. And I've been crying along with you, basically. So, yeah, I just think it's, um, it's not it's not a great show. But it's, it's always interesting watching other stuff. My main talking point, and you, and you touched on it, was the crowd. Like, this is so sad to look in this in this big cavernous arena you know 16,000 plus and drawing under 3,000 so sort of 20 percent ish full and it's you know if you're having, if you're having a bad day and you want to be more depressed put this on and have a look at the crowd because this is this is a promotion on its absolute last legs isn't it, here like it's just mm-hmm. um it's like walking into a depressing pub when you're in a bad it's like this is just making me feel worse and, and actually the way that they set up there was a block just opposite the hard camera that had quite a lot of empty seats in it throughout the whole night and it's just like that's how bad the crowd was you couldn't even feel that hard camera section so yeah that's that's kind of my talking point in terms of just how depressing this was in terms of numbers of people they managed to draw yeah, it's interesting because I did a little bit. I thought about that myself, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, wow, this must be them on their dialects, but it still went on for like another four years. So they had a deal with ESPN, so I think that kept them going. Oh, uh, I see. Because I was like, Jesus, if this is like one of their one of their mark. I don't, the thing is, I don't know what their marquee shows are, but this is obviously the second in a series of however many. And I was like, well. It, it's called Super Clash, so it must be called Super Clash for a reason. You know, it must be one of their biggest shows. And the fact that it was that empty was quite depressing. Um, what do you think, old man? Well, I just want to uh, give, I just want to touch on uh, Stephen's first point. Now, the listeners will already know this, but you don't at the moment, Stephen. So we're now on Thursday, the twenty-first of March. So on Tuesday evening, the nineteenth of March, uh, myself, Tinky, and Matt covered the show that's come out previously, which was Extreme Rules twenty fifteen, and uh. You may have thought that you had a rough end of stick getting three rough shows. Matt couldn't even be bothered to watch the right one. So he turned up, having watched the show that we, uh, that me, Tom and Tinky had covered the week before. Mm. Yeah, so at least you didn't do that. Wasn't he watched Spring Stampede or was it? And you got another one in between. 
Nah, he watched TNA Lockdown 2009, which would have been which would have been on YouTube, so he would have had to sit through all the adverts unless he yeah. was yeah. That is pretty rough. Matt. I cannot criticize Matt for watching the wrong show because I've done it myself. You did um, with the ECW one recently, didn't you? I so, did yeah, yeah. one. So I can't, I can't criticize him that. So he's got a supporter in me. Old man can, old man can slag him off to the death. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with my boy because I've done the same thing. We us slackers have got to stick together. <laughs> I mean, to to touch on the second one with the crowd, I must say, for 2,600 people, when they're hot, they are fucking red hot. But when they're not, they look shot, and they must be thinking what? Because there's only about five of them there. Like, they keep selling that it's in the Cow Palace as well. And I'm like, look, like, I think it's a couple of years after this, like, WWE sold this out, like, quite easily. And it's like, don't keep saying that it's the Cow Palace because it's quite a, it's quite soul-destroying to look at. And, yeah, that's the... I think you both used the word sad, and I think that's kind of what I felt. Because and we'll, we'll touch on this later in the show, because I don't feel like I want to blow my load too early. But they see some cracking stuff, but some of the other stuff... I can kind of understand why there's only 2,600 people there. Because I don't think if they were wrestling in the front garden, I'd have opened the curtains. <laughs> Look at this in, in comparison to, I know this is a bit of an outlier, and it's, it's the same year, but it's obviously slightly different. But you think about the quality of some of the matches WWF were putting on at the time. That's the only thing I can really speak about, because that's all I've ever really watched in this time period. But if you look, you think about like the, I don't know, Macho Man versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3, same year. I know it's a completely different promotion as earlier in the year and everything, but that is light years ahead of everything else that would possibly be on this card. So, you're right, old man, about the, the quality of some of the matches and, and why people might not be turning up. i got an interesting bit about the old Cow Palace, actually, and actually two things mm-hmm. were interesting about the Cow Palace. Every time I heard the phrase Cow Palace, it reminded me of a conversation that old man and I overheard a part of. And we, it was a couple of years ago, me and old man were sat in a cafe, having lunch, I believe it was before my stag night, and some bloke was just sat on the table away from us, and all of a sudden we just heard him go, well, that's the thing, you just don't see Cow Palace these days. <laughs> what? what a weird thing to say and that had stuck with me forever and every time i heard cow less that was where my mind line went thinking of that old boy talking about cow pats oh, and how you don't man. see them anymore i bet you dropped a cow pat after you stagger that's quite a in, in my group of friends that's quite well used vernacular in terms of like a particularly bad visit cow pat so yeah, <laughs> I like we that. use that all, i hear that all the time yeah. it was so we we saw we discovered this thing i don't know if have you ever been to amsterdam steve only once, yeah. Yeah, so once. the toilets in Amsterdam have got these, uh, they're quite, they're like the, the hole where the water is, it's quite far the front, and there's almost like a ledge, and you can properly drop a cow pat on these. <laughs> what was that phrase, old man, that was in that chat? I can't remember what it was called. It's like a bollock tickler or something like that. And it's really yeah. Interesting because the, your shit's so big, and it stands up <laughs> at the right angle, it can tickle your balls. One of my favourite new Twitter accounts, I think they've been banned, was, it's called Away Day Poos. It's basically people on Away Days, <laughs> loads of poos, just send a picture of them having done a poo. I was about, I was at my mum's recently, it's my brother-in-law, and we were absolutely wetting ourselves laughing. I think it's banned now, unfortunately. But yeah, Away Day Poos, yeah, <laughs> It's still around, follow it. If that is the case, on Twitter needs to have a fucking word with themselves. <laughs> because because the amount of filth and, and the as an absolute cesspit of opinions that is Twitter, to, to allow to someone to just upload a cheeky little picture of a horrendous dump, I'm all for that. I'm all for it. The way they um, pose is still alive. 901 followers. Well, I was about to have 902. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While we're talking dumps, my uh, my dad worked for years in a factory. So he would, he'd work shifts and then he became a shift manager. So he was working days. But every morning he'd go in, he'd get in at like seven or eight o'clock-ish 
and someone, a guy, would go into the toilet, block it with toilet paper, do a shit on the top, and then just leave it and not flush it. So he'd just leave it and obviously not wipe his ass either. Oh, God, sorry. Some of these pictures are absolutely foul. <laughs> and what I like about it is, a fair play to them, Ukrainian flag as their profile picture. Yeah, standing up Ukrainian. Right, away day ships. Away day poos. Away day poos, away day poos. They like to keep it classy, they don't like the, the full swear <laughs> word. So. <laughs> it's a great tour, okay. It's disgusting. It's very entertaining. Um, So, old man, what are you talk- have you finished talking about the crowd and shit? Uh, yeah, I am. Well, you'll never be finished talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Just the phrase. I haven't even looked at anything. Just the phrase is going to pop me a couple of times, I think. <laughs> so I'm going to touch on this because, like I said, I don't want to cover don't want to cover all the good stuff in the opening. So I'm going to cover the opener. Yeah, so the opening match, uh, just to cut you off there, old man, is uh, rock and roll Bob Zumpfoll. Zumphoff, even. I cannot fucking pronounce his name. I kept on saying rock and roll Bob Bumhole when I was writing it, but um, versus Sheik Adnan Casey. It uh, goes on for 10 minutes and 45 seconds, and it ends when Zumphoff attempts a monkey flip in the corner, which the Sheik reverses and gets the pin with one foot on the rope. Just a quick note about what happens afterwards. Um, Zumphoff tries to attack the Sheik, but Sheik manages to escape, and Zumphoff hits the mat in frustration and yells, Come on, you jerk! <laughs> Let's start on the match first. Like I said, in my hoops and fears, I was pretty up for this, but this was definitely in the fear category because they're 10 minutes, 45 seconds, as you said, Tommy. I reckon the first three minutes are just them not doing anything. And then you have a lovely bit in the middle where Sheik offers Buck a handshake multiple times. This goes on for another minute or so. And then Buck returns the favour. Sheik falls for it, silly bugger. But this is not very good. I've put in my notes lots of feeling out in the early stages. And then there's a leg twist by the Sheik, who puts, I mean, they love a leg twist in the AWA in 1987, by the sounds of it. The highlight of, my, of this match for me was that the commentator, whose name Ron Ron Tramstation, <laughs> uh, he... He gives a shout out to the production crew, which is wonderful stuff. I absolutely love it. He's going to, he's basically naming their families. He's saying what they had for lunch in the backstage area. And then he talks about old Bobby Buck, Buckface, whatever his name is. He says that he's from Hamburg, Minnesota, four times in the course of the match. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck's he going on? And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to check out this bloody Buck and see what his deal is. And I wish I hadn't, oh. because he is a convicted sex offender, currently serving 25 years in prison. I'm not going to go into the uh, details, but it's for sex with a minor as well. And I was like, ah, oh, that's absolutely horrendous. And I know, like, I know it's not really, not really the kind of content you expect from the Random Wrestling Review. But I felt once I'd read it, I was like, I have to mention it, because we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't. But that was kind of my my main talking point from this match is that this set me off on a pretty rough note because this was what I was scared that the rest of the show would be and I, my erection was gone. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, that's, that's, is, do you have one of those moments where you're like, oh God, I, but I'm glad he was shit then so we didn't have to say anything yeah. nice about him because he is rubbish in this match. Yes, I was just going to say that's actually a very good point because uh, even without that, I wouldn't have said that he was a great top-tier performer. Now I hope he dies a horrible death. Well, we can only live in hope, can't we? Uh, Stephen? <laughs> Crikey, I feel, I feel like i go and look at the crowd in the cow palace against to cheer myself up. <laughs> um, 
So, few things. There's a guy in a WWF cap at ringside, which made my blood boil. What are you doing? What are you doing? I should have someone thrown that cap off of him, I think. Um, there was an unkind chant of Sheik's a freak. Uh, and I imagine this was because Sheik was particularly adventurous in the bedroom rather than anything else. But yeah, <laughs> now given what else in this match, um, yeah, let's move on. And um, my highlight of this match was so during while I was watching this, one of my cats got up next to me um, and he's previously walked across my laptop and basically hit the keys of the combination of the death blow, cause it to break. And he nearly did the same thing, he nearly walked across it. So it was that with that air of danger and excitement that helped me get through Zoom Hoff and Sheik Adnan El Casey. I thought the finish was horrendous. And I thought Come On You Jerk was the best thing about the whole thing, to be honest. So yeah, dreadful. Tommy's description of the finish where he says, oh, Sheik puts a foot on the rope is very generous because he doesn't get any leverage. He's literally just resting a foot on the rope. It is. It's like it's like he's like it's like he's using it as a footstool. Yeah, I don't have I don't have too much too much to say. I was gonna compliment old Zoom Hawks as I as I called him before I realised what his name was. <laughs> oh Zoom Hawks mullet and tash, but he's not even getting that. The best thing about it, it was the commentary commentator going on about the uh, camera operators, which he which he then does later again another stage in the pay-per-view. The pace does pick up a little bit after a couple of rather shit drop kicks from uh, Zoom Hawk. But um the best thing about this match for me was the Sheik's moustache and mm. his noises. He makes some absolutely tremendous noises because, as you said, old man, when the crowd aren't massively hot, they're not massively hot. And all you can hear for the entire match is Sheik going, ah, 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 <laughs> which, I, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So, yeah, fuck that match and fuck old Zoom Hawk. So uh, on to my talking point. I want to talk about Sensational Sherry or Sherry Martel, as she's called in this. So it's the first time I'd ever seen Sensational Sherry or Sherry Martel, again, as she was here, wrestle. I've never seen her wrestle before. I've only seen her as a valet in WWF to Million Dollar Man or to Randy Savage or to um, or to Shawn Michaels. And in all of those, she does a tremendous job as a supporting character to those people and giving them spotlight. But I've always heard people talk about how amazing she was as, as, a, as an all-rounder when it came to professional wrestling. And the match that she's in is um, Sherry Martel versus Medusa Michelli or... Alundra Blaze or Medusa, the old title in the bin lady. And this is a ladies wrestling match, as they call it. And Sherry Martel is the uh, is the ladies champion. She's accompanied to the ring by pretty boy Doug Summers, who is an absolute munter. And, <laughs> and the other thing I'd say as well, and Tinky pointed that out to me, as who he's producing from the sidelines, this is our 500th match. Who's here? That we've talked about. So lovely old wow. wow. So the match goes for 11 minutes. I did notice on Wikipedia when I was looking at the times of the matches, they're all even numbers. So they're all either incredibly precise mm. with the timing or someone just couldn't be bothered and just rounded everything <laughs> up or down to the nearest minute. But the match kind of ends when Doug Summers distracts Medusa and Sherry rolls at Medusa for the pin. Uh, Medusa chases the heels back. And for some reason, DJ Peterson, who was in the previous match, just turns up, doesn't do anything. A couple of things I wanted to point out about this. The referee, his name is Rich Frisk, which I guess <laughs> yes. a great name. And like I said, it was interesting to see Sherry without all the makeup and the outlandish get-up. She's got nothing. She's just wearing spandex, and, she's, and she looks completely different. And I must say, for 1987, both women are in incredible shape mm. for wrestlers. I don't know why I've added the for 1987, but it made me think that they could have been some of the dancers in the studio at The Running Man uh, at this. Oh, yes. Their, their physiques that they've got. Like, she's the biggest heel on the night, Sherry Martel. Yeah. 
the crowd hate her and there's loud Sherry Sucks chants which she plays it absolutely brilliantly before the match starts there's like a long strange discussion with the referee in the middle of the ring where he basically says don't pull anyone's hair and don't hit anyone in the fanny <laughs> and then Sherry mimics hitting the referee in the nuts and then pulls his yeah, hair. I've got that. Yes, so good. <laughs> it's so so good. I don't know why I didn't write that down. It was incredible. It was really good. Absolutely genius. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, big Ray the Crippler Stevens joins on commentary. And at this mm. point, I was very glad to have Ray the Crippler Stevens there as well because I was getting very fed up of Ron Trombone on commentary. Um, so it was nice to have him there. Sherry Mattel's heel work though is amazing and then she bites Medusa's hand at one point when she's got her in like an arm bar with her back to the ref and you can hear Medusa shout, she's biting me, which is just something that was just really cool. I've never really seen that before and, and I just really like that. The commentators, I will say this, they, they, talk, they keep talking about how beautiful the women are, but it seems more patronising than Lecce, which I guess... When it comes to wrestlers talking about the physical attributes of women, I guess that's the best we can really hope for in these in these circumstances. And it's a pretty fucking stiff match. They both of them really go for it. It was a really good match. And it's got to be said, the crowd go absolutely mad for a aeroplane spin, which Medusa hits on Sensational Sherry. And it is a really, really cool moment in the match. Yeah. This is my match of the night. I've put it down. No, it's not. Fact that. It's not my match of the night. But it's my talking point, mainly because I wanted to give Sherry Martel her flowers because we haven't really discussed it much on the random wrestling review so far. In fact, I think she's only probably really been in like one one event, and even then she didn't want to have had too much of involvement in it. So yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Sherry Martel and, and draw a bit bit of attention to her. Oh man, what are your thoughts? The first thing that struck me is what's Sherry wearing? She's dressed as Hogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like, pretty much. And I was like, oh hello. Wonder if there was a little thing in that, like you said, Tommy. The heat on her, the Sherry sucks chance are just unrelenting. It's like that's all the crowd are there for. And they show um this great production crew. They show a lot of the crowd. And I must say, there's only 2,600 of them. But when that camera's on them, they turn the fucking style on, don't they? Because they're having a lovely old time. A tremendous time. I had a note about Sherry demonstrating the illegal moves on the referee because that had me howling with laughter. When she just, she's proper roughing him up as well. Yeah. when she's pulling his hair ah oh. now you won't catch that happening to me or Stephen. uh yeah like <laughs> it's a pretty stiff old match this it's the, probably the second best match on the card i think they're obviously they're work they're working each other they're working limbs and they they get this wrong a bit later on i think but with the airplane spin it just pops the crowd and then it kind of continues and then the finish comes quite quick afterwards and i, I really enjoyed it yeah i just liked it just like the facts as well that you picked up, because I don't have this nowhere down, Tommy, about the commentary team as well. Because, well, it sounds like they're incredibly uncomfortable commentating on anything but the wrestling. But they feel like they have to point out the fact that, look, these are women doing this. And it does come across as condescending a little, but I don't think it's meant as such, but they just don't know how to do it. Yeah. And Ray Stevens, who is in a match later on in the card, it's like 54, I think, at the time. And what a physique. <laughs> we'll come to that later though Stephen how about you mate Joe I really like this I think the two the two best matches on the show were both hampered by the finishes but this is my match of the night actually so I just thought this was great from start to finish Sherry told someone to shut up while walking down to the ring and I'm sure they deserved it there was a Sherry suck sign in the front row on that old I think you guys are a bit younger than me so you may not remember this but it was like a dot matrix printer and it would take so long to, this guy it probably took at least an hour 
to print this sign off and it was basically probably slower than a slugger tape travel 100 meters but fair play to bring that along and um, ray said these are super nice looking ladies but they are just mean and i think perhaps he reveals some scars <laughs> of difficult relationships with women in his life maybe a battle axe of a mother and all i can say is i've been there right that airplane <laughs> spin was unbelievable <laughs> Yeah, difficult, difficult mothers. On that sign, I thought it was embroidered. I thought someone had spent the time quilting it. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It could have been a quilt. That would take it even longer, but not not much longer quilting it than dot matrix in the air. Uh, yeah, Sherry's um, Sherry's bump on the airplane screen was was incredible. Um, but again, as we said, I, t- I talked about the crowd. Medusa walked past an entire empty end section on the way out, and then we f- we saw Rod for the first time. He was wearing sunglasses the whole night. So yeah. What a guy. What a strong guy. Got. <laughs> I was going to say, do you think he was channeling his inner Keith Hart? Well, <laughs> they were similar, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I think in some level, I think we're all channeling. I know Bruce Hart is what you actually meant, old man. Yeah. I always <laughs> get him fucking confused. It's easy. Just remember, if one of them, if you think one of them looks a bit like a cunt, it's Bruce Hart. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if one of them looks like a sexy fireman, then it's Keith. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's all so, right, those are our talking points. We'll work our way through the rest of the card after this quick commercial break. You've been watching All Star Wrestling, produced by the Minneapolis Boxing and Wrestling Club in wrestling arenas throughout the world. Executive producer, Vern Gagne. been an American Wrestling Association sports presentation. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that lovely interlude. So we're going to start work, working our way through the show. The one thing I wanted to quickly say, I forgot to mention it earlier about the old Cow Palace, it was the home to the Beatles' first ever gig in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. So it was their, their yeah. opening night of their first US tour. It's quite interesting. And also, old man, your lads Nirvana did a, uh, did a tour there when they were promoting what album? In Utero, there as it's named. Lovely stuff. Do you know if the Beatles got more than 2,600? Do you know what? I don't think they did. No. That um, must have been one of Nirvana's last gigs if they were. Are, yeah. you, a, are you a Nirvana fan or not As with the In Utero album um, pronunciation? Kind of, so it's been a Byron Facts of the Week. Ah, a couple okay. Of times. So it's In Utero. But the first time I did it, I just couldn't say the sentence because I, I couldn't I've figure out how to actually. say yeah. in utero. And in utero, didn't know what it was. And as I said it, Tinky's face just dropped. He was like, <laughs> the what? You stupid bold cunt. That's what he said. But, but obviously, he edited that down. <laughs> they also, uh, they, yeah, they played it in 1993. So it was very near the end. Wow, it was near the end, yeah. yeah. Do so, you think it was a pre-planned gig or do you reckon it was a shotgun? Oh, come on, mate. So we're back. Um, we The show opens up with a ring announcer in a dashing red jacket who was announcing our first pirate. This guy looks a million bucks, the ring announcer. Mm-hmm. What a guy. He is my MVP of the night. Because oh, lovely. I, I was just find him captivating. I was like, every time, by the time we got to the main event, I was like, this guy's, this guy's an absolute hunk. Why is he not on the card? <laughs> As we said earlier, we've got Rod Trongo on comms. And then we got the first match, which we've already talked about, which is the Arbor Pedo against Sheikh Adnan Al-Kassi. 
<laughs> I sometimes forget what I'm on when because I'm still here, all, but actually living it. It's, this should be something you should sell on Patreon in terms of like people coming along with the three of you, just just like experiencing the the 18 plus content in in real life, <laughs> like as it happens, basically. It's quite a quite a thing, really. Well, the thing is, I think you, ordinarily we were quite um, quite conscientious about what we say when it comes to these kind of legal matters. But he's been convicted of it, so yeah, absolutely, no, allegedly there. Mm. So yeah. after after that match, we've got um, Super Ninja and Mr. Go come to the ring to very little fanfare and no music, which is uh, which is something we didn't actually mention about the first match. Very little music in this. Someone gets called a jerkwad on the way to the ring, but I couldn't tell yeah. who, but I appreciate that. And it's at, the, it's at this point where I realise that the commentator sat at the end of the entranceway, meaning that the wrestlers have to walk around him every time <laughs> they get in. Uh, this match is DJ Peterson versus the Super Ninja with Mr. Go in his corner, and it is a 15-minute draw. Uh, Stephen? I was glancing down at my notes during entrances, and I looked up, and I realised that Super Ninja had what I think or were swastikas on his fists. Yeah. Um, which made me feel very uncomfortable. And I googled this, um, and there is a thing in ja- basically in Jap- on Japanese maps, a left-facing swastika is a mark to, to as used to mark the location of a Buddhist temple. So I thought, is what is this something to do with that? But it's not. It's just that one was facing one way because of the way the position of the hand. So I think this was what I think it was, and it was yeah. This is this is bad news. Um, you know, Van Garnier is, is of an age where. I kind of feel like I expect better of him. Here's a little tangent for you. So my dad used to work in Africa in the 50s, 60s and 70s, and they get AWA television in Zambia and Nigeria, bizarrely. So I remember him talking about Van Gogh, and I just thought, you know, my dad's favourite wrestler, how are you allowing this on like a big show? And I just thought this was, this was pretty disgusting, really. Peterson was in Mid-South in the bit I'm watching at the moment, actually, kind of a little bit above enhanced talent, sort of lower mid-card, and was, was pretty good. So I was quite looking forward to this one. Rod, 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 what's his name? Rod Trombone, Trombone, or if we're calling him. Yeah, and that's got very, Yeah, Trombone. Got very animated about how Super Ninja usually had his fingers taped up on his left hand, but he didn't that <laughs> evening. He went back to this and speculated that the AWA may have had a look at it and determined to be illegal. That's about as exciting as it's got. Though, that said, they did get me with a backslide onto Ninja by Pizza for a great near fall. Mm. Um, and I thought the finish was a bit of a mess. It looked like they botched by ringing the bell after a two count. Um, to signify the fall but in actuality it was just the end of the as you said the time limit um it felt it was okay this wasn't terrible but it felt like a half an hour time limit draw than 15 minutes and i think all the matches felt a lot longer than they were because of the style of the wrestling i think they fucking lean on a rope break don't they Mm. early on in this the first i reckon it's probably five six minutes it's just constant rope breaks constant rope breaks all right we get it we get it. You're not allowed to do it, but they lean on it so hard. Everything as well. Like if someone's in the corner, get your hands off him, rope break. Poor referee's arm must have been absolutely fucking exhausted. There's another handshake, another handshake offer from a Super Swastika Ninja, which I'm glad you pointed out, Stephen, because I was appalled by this. And it took me a long time to get into this match mm. because of that. And I'm loath to talk about it in a very nice way, but or professionals. So, uh, yeah, older DJ then reciprocates with the handshake offer and gets him straight in a sleeper. Have that super ninja, you little racist. So in the middle of the match, it quickens up, and then uh, DJ Peterson's comeback is cut off by a lovely kick by Super Ninja. It must be said. And then they just go into like a camel clutch, and then they just slow it down, and then the the finish is so fast. Like again. 
they're just so rapidly trying to get to the finish, it seems. And then they muff it up, like you boys said. And they mess it up. And it really, I thought this was all right, actually. Compared to their first match, this is the fucking masterpiece. Mm. But it's not very good. So a show like this, I could have stomached just about. So at this point in the card, I was like, you know what? We're getting better. We're getting better all the time. As the Beatles said when they were performing in the Cow Palace. Uh, my thoughts on this match, yeah, not too dissimilar to what you guys just said. It's very slow, it's very plodding. There's a nerf hold spot, which goes on for almost as long as a nerf hold spot at WrestleMania 10 with Yokozuna and Lex Luger. Um, you're right, Stephen, about the false finish on the backslide. That really, like, really caught me off guard then. But yeah, there's lots of camel clutch and Boston crabs going on for a very long time. There's one bit where the Super Ninja hits a mini uh, spinning heel kick, which the commentator calls a back flying back elbow, which mm. was extraordinarily incorrect um <laughs> and yeah it just wasn't very good on terms of the swastika yeah because in certain kind of asian cultures the swastika is a sign of good luck but even i'm choosing to believe that this isn't a racist thing it's just very poorly thought out and i think even with the best will in the world with with what that symbol kind of denotes in this you know in this society i wouldn't have done it anyway no. so the first two matches we got a nonsense and nazi so things can only get better can't we and they do quickly when we're followed up by the sherry martel uh, match which we've already discussed moving on the next match we have is phew, i tell you what, boys this is a bollock breaking 26 minute long match between kurt hennig and nick bockwinkle so larry zabisco turns up at the beginning of the match and says that he wants to face the winner of the of this match and becomes the number one contender which the head of the awa a member of the championship committee is there and i've lost his name stanley blackburn Stanley Blackburn, that's right. Stanley Blackburn Rovers is there. And he says that's fine. Um, During the match, Larry Zabisco gives Kurt Hennig a foreign object and Kurt Hennig hits Nick Bockwinkle with it and gets the win. And the crowd are happy, I think. Old man, what are your thoughts on this match? Well, I think I might surprise you boys with this. I thought this was fan-fucking-tastic. This is my match of the night. I knew, I think I had this expectation when it started, I was like, this is going long. This is their main event in the middle of the card. This is going to go long. And I was, to be honest, at 26 minutes, it's about 15 minutes shorter than I thought it was going to be. But I just love the pacing of it. I just thought it was fantastic because they're kind of working each other over and then there's little bursts and then there's lots of chin locks a lot of chin locks early on they're really leaning into this chin lock but after a little bit um kurt hennig goes to so he's been worked over quite a lot in the early stages then he goes to shoulder charge bockwinkle in the corner takes a heck of a bump to the outside so he goes just over the middle rope through in that classic wrestling style that they do now in pretty much every match but he's like i don't need to worry about this poleness in the way i'm just going to miss that and go into the barricade (laughs) next to the ring and he's selling it and i'm like i'm not sure he's selling this but what this leads to is this leads to a lovely bit where Bockwinkle, how many people are going to say this? A lovely bit where Bockwinkle is working over his arm and he's just working it over and working it over. And then he plays to the crowd a little bit. And then Hennig manages to start working over Bockwinkle's left leg. And then he locks on a figure four. And Bockwinkle is selling this for all his life, like for all his life, for quite a while as well. To give him credit, but he's like, he's reaching at the referee. He's like, he don't know what's going on. Then there's a lovely pile driver and an incredible drop kick by Hennig, where he does it just standing from about a metre and a half away from Bockwinkle, and he catches him under the chin. It's 
absolutely incredible and i really liked the finish so like sabisco coming over handing well allegedly we don't know because we haven't seen it we don't know what happened in the coming days after this but it seems to hand uh hennig the little roll of quarters and then a punch then a lovely little guy i couldn't believe how much i enjoyed this can't believe it it just i must have just been in the right mood i think he's talked about this before where he's watched um just a couple of times, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Bob Backlund's 60-minute time limit draw. And he said, he's like, if you're in the mood, there's a lot in there. And I feel like I was just in the right mood for this. One thing I, w- I would say, whoever put the card together deserves some credit because this could not have come after anything else on the card than the women's match. Those are the two best matches on the card. And I think if they separated them out, it would have made the whole show quite intolerable. But yeah, fucking hell. I'm a Bockwinkle guy, turns out. So I, watching this, I I knew you'd like it, old man, because everything feels like it matters in this match. It's quite slow at times, but when it speeds up, it speeds up and they do everything really well. And I liked what you said about the the fact there's there's certain ebbs and flows in the match. Yeah, it starts off, there are a lot of headlocks, but the commentary commentary team, fair play to both say why uh, Kurt Hennig keeps going back for the headlock. It's to a target Nick Bockwinkle's neck. Nick Bockwinkle, who, by the way, looks like a cream tea in this. (laughs) Because he's got the red, he's got the red, the red tights on and his hair is all, it looks like a lovely dollop of, of Devonshire on that and then the match in itself is is very good i really enjoyed it there's a bloke in the crowd with a san francisco giants fitted and a varsity jacket on that i would absolutely kill for and i i just really like this match the commentator starts going on about the camera team again in this match um which i thought was a little bit unnecessary but nick bockwinkle has cut and arm scissors and the referee does a lovely roll across the camera in the background which is absolutely delightful so Stephen, what do you reckon about this are you are you in the tommy and uh Tommy and Krusty, Cam? Cam? I feel like I'm about oh. to piss on your chips here a bit, to be honest. Which I, I mean, maybe a delicacy you enjoy, I don't know. But I really wanted to like this, and I think I did to a certain point, and then I really hated it. Just going through this, I thought Hennig was out to a surprisingly tepid reaction, though I thought he looked in great shape, young, and he a little bit stubble. And, he, and I wondered, actually, is he, ter- is he turning heel? Because that's not a babyface look. It's like a little bit, little bit more rugged. Mm-hmm. Is that what he's doing there? And um, Bockwinkle, I thought, was in fantastic shape as well. He was 51 years old, and this was really it for him. He was winding down his wrestling career. Um, he did a, a tour with um, All Japan, and that was it. So he was done in in, uh, in 87. The bit I don't understand about Kurt Hennig is why do some people call him Kurt Henning? Oh, how do you get Henning? Henning. It's not his name, is it? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. There was a kid in the front row who did the arm, the up yours arm gesture four or five times in a row, and no one has ever looked more pleased than this kid for, for pulling this off and getting away with it. Because there didn't seem to be any parental guidance anywhere near him. <laughs> it just was absolutely loving it, absolutely loving it. Um, and as I said, I thought the early stages were pretty slow, rest holds, but around the twenty minute mark, I was I was invested in this, and this was. Henning looking like he was going to win and Bockwinkle just kicking out of everything. And then, as we said, we got the finish. The finish up by itself, I could have tolerated. But the aftermath, I absolutely detested, which I'm sure we're going to get to in a moment. Yeah, the, fucking hell. It was <laughs> agony, wasn't it? It was just, it was just, this is dying promotion stuff. Really, mm. really, really bad. And, and that's the thing. Like, I watched quite a lot of, Jim Crockett is the one, actually. If you see any stuff, that's Jim Crockett from from around this time or 86 or a bit into 88. There's a lot of shit stuff. Like you get 
Starcade main event, Flair's champion, Dusty Rhodes the challenger, challenger, and and it's Dusty Rhodes wins by DQ. It's like that's your biggest show of the entire year, and the creative you've come up with is Babyface wins by DQ. If you don't want the babyface to win, just have the heel champion beat him, yeah. or to have a different babyface that you want to win the title. It just it's just blow. This I think about this quite a lot in terms of how much, in terms of the percentage of bad wrestling there is out there. There's so much bad stuff. It just is like chronically bad wrestling. And, and booking wrestling isn't that. It's the, I don't think it's that difficult, really, in terms of if you're if you don't have to if you're just the, if you could have a role where you're just you're not the person that has to deliver any of the news. You don't have to deal with any of the any of the people, and you're just like right. You're just plotting it out like a like a writer might be in WWE. And perhaps they don't deliver the news. I don't think that's that difficult a job. It's like don't give people shit. This that's what this was. No, you are right now. I think watching because. Well, you've done this for ages, but in the last like, year, year or so, watching wrestling for a different reason mm. really does hit home how bad it can be. Yeah. And also how simple it is to be really, really, really great. Like That was what I loved about this, is just the simplicity of it. And like Tommy said, everything mattered. And that was why it really, really got me and hooked me. And then they, they shit the bed with the rest of the yeah. show, to be honest. But yeah. So um, after the match finishes, Ray the Crippler is not happy about what's happening. He thinks that Larry Zabisco has got involved and there's been some shenanigans. So he leaves uh, the commentary desk and goes and starts arguing on the ring open with the referee and the uh, commissioner, Ray Blackburn or whatever his name is. Something Blackburn. Stan, Stanley. Stanley Blackburn. Stanley Blackburn. Yeah, I said. You couldn't get um, a more middle-aged or old person name than that, could you? No. Stanley, Stanley Blackburn. Blackburn. It is a lovely old name. And then the camera kind of zooms into quarters, the, the quarters on the match and Ron Trombone's doing his best to piece everything together. But there's lots of standing standing around and lots of kind of nothing really happening. And I was kind of like, I appreciate the fact they go for like sporting realism within this because uh, that's the sort of thing that would happen if there was confusion going on. For example, I just recently watched um, on Netflix, the Malice in the Palace documentary, which is about the infamous game uh, between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons, where basically a couple of the players, Ron Artest and, and a few other players, run into the crowd and start beating up fans after <laughs> a scrap on the pitch. And there's lots of standing around and lots of people not really knowing what's going on and what to do with themselves. So I did kind of appreciate that aspect of it. But it does go on for a little bit, I must mm. admit. It, it does drag out for a little bit. Um, we then find out that the championship will be vacated until the championship committee get a chance to review it. Oh, Larry Zabaz is absolutely going mad in the ring about it. But that isn't actually confirmed by anyone. That's just kind of suggested by the commentator. Luckily, the old MVP, the hunky ring announcer, confirms that to the crowd. Kurt Hennig then gets interviewed and um, doesn't really say much. He kind of says about how he won the match, but that's about it. And um, Larry Zabisco comes over and it's all rather chaotic. Kurt then slaps the referee and says that he is the number, he is the world champion. And then Larry again confirms that he is the number one contender and says some other flannel. Uh, the commentator then confirms that there is no champion at the what did you lads think of this i absolutely hated it i hated it so much that it just ruined i did the, the finish alone cut hand goes out do this on tv or whatever um if you have to but i wouldn't even do that and, and I, I basically this reminded me a lot of stuff that i've seen from jim crockett around this sort of time 86 87 88 and they all these companies can blame vince mcmahon and blame everyone else but they all, all of their creative was terrible and, and, and ultimately if you're going to put this in a world title match and a major show, then you haven't got anyone to blame but yourself as to why you've drawn 2,800 people. And I thought this was total and complete and utter turd. And the crowd agreed with the big, big old bullshit chant. The thing I also thought was interesting was Stanley told Rod 
that it's going to take a couple of days to review this film. I think later on he says he might say three or four days. How lazy! What else have you got on, Stan? If you're part of the championship committee, like what are you doing? Like you're going on well, a little short break after this. Well, Stanley is not part of the championship committee. There are oh, six we found members. Out later. Six members. Yeah. yeah. Six, he only six gets mem- to vote if, he's, if it's tied, isn't it? Like, exactly. Yeah, I have got a bit of additional information, if this is of interest, about why they did this finish. I found this on Reddit somewhere. So some of it is is ripped from the Observer from that from that week. Um, and some of it's not. So it's a bit of a confusing passage, but I'm just going to read it as as it as it is. So it said on the on May the 9th, did an angle where and that's the wrong day, where the AWA world title was held up following a Bockwinkle and Heading match where Hennig used a foreign object. This hold up comes on the heels of two major news stories. Hennig is supposedly going to the WWF. Meanwhile, Vern Garner has gotten the remaining four NWA circuits, Memphis, Alabama, Kansas, Pacific Northwest, left to recognise Bockwinkle as the world champion. Um, so basically, that's why they did this creative, because they thought Hennig might be going. But then basically, Hennig backed out of going to the WWF uh, for what was the second time at this point, because he'd been promised to run with the title, uh, which he ultimately got. Um, and apparently Kurt's dad, Larry, put a lot of pressure on him to stay. And that's it, basically. So I think Kurt was off to WF in 88, but he stuck around for some time as a result of this. So I guess maybe they were backed into a corner, but you sort this stuff out before the pay-per-view and maybe you pull Kurt Hennig out of it. Buckwinkle was kind of tweener here. I don't know whether you maybe put a heel in and have Buckwinkle win and then sort it out another day, but I just don't... You can't be putting this stuff on, on major major cards and expecting to draw any fans. It's just... Yeah, not not for me at all. Well, they, they could have just put Larry Zabisco in the match instead. They could have done, yeah. Had a, had a, had a tweener, Bockwinkle, going face versus Larry and then done whatever you need to do. And they weren't losing Larry because I think Larry was dating Vern's daughter at the time. So that's why he was going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, old man? The fact that this is still match of the night is testament to how much I enjoyed it because this is the kind of thing that drives me insane. Like we've talked about this on the show where if there's something after the main event, I'm not a big fan of it. And this is the main event. Like they say it's the main event. And uh, it's long. It's so poorly done. This is a conversation backstage. Let's sort this out so that we know where we're going. If you're going to go this way, I know it needs to seem chaotic, but it doesn't seem chaotic. Like it's just no one knows what's going on. I'm convinced that's why Hennig slaps the referee because he's just like, I don't know what else to do here. I don't know what else I can do. And also the crowd, like you said, Stephen, the crowd don't like it. The aim you imagine is to get Bockwinkle over, properly over as a face. But early in the match, when he's working over old Curtie Baby's arm, he's playing hill to the crowd. Mm. Like there's a point where he's got him in an arm bar and he's just like waving at the crowd and he's like talking to someone and he's proper healing it up. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing here. But yeah, this was really awful. And it's also made worse, I think, because it's in the middle of the card. They won't stop fucking flapping their gums about it. <laughs> no, it, it does. It definitely does poison the rest of the card. And, and what I will say, I, I didn't like this bit at all either. Like I said, if it, if this went on for like a minute, that would have been fine. Mm. But the fact that it goes on for so long, is it really puts me off. There's one thing I wanted to mention, actually, that I didn't during the match. Um, I wanted to give a quick... A shout to Kurt Hennig because what he's doing in this match is different from what I've seen him do before. He still is selling is absolutely perfect in this match. He sells all of Nick Bockwinkel, who, let's be honest, he looks about 80 and you can 
I couldn't really, I didn't find him particular. I wouldn't find him particularly believable. But Kurt Hennig does amaze, an amazing job at selling what he his offense, and it's not the overselling that he would that later become famous for, especially uh, in a match against one of our fa- our favorite Canadian wrestler at SummerSlam '91, where he's selling all over the shop for for Bret Hart to some extent, where it actually looks a little bit ludicrous at times, despite being an amazing match. So I just wanted to kind of mention that before we move on. I also just quickly want to add before I forget. Nick Bonkwinkle is my MVP because he was anyway. And then when Stephen said he's 51 at this time, I was like, fucking shit a brick. And especially that fucking flannel we watched of him and someone else. Oh, God. Uh, him and Dory Funk, wasn't it? Uh, um, a Legends reunion. Can't remember what show that was. But this is, the, that was 93. Spring Stampede 93, maybe. And uh, that was absolutely horrendous. And this is great stuff. So, that was, that was also my match of the night as well. I feel like I should add. The next match, we have the Midnight Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, and Ray Stevens. He's off commentary duties for the moment. Versus Buddy Wolf, Doug Summers, and Kevin Kelly. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that old Buddy Wolf might be beautiful Buddy Wolf. Again, much like his tag team partner, he is an absolute rotter to look at as well. So I love the fact that he's beautiful. Lovely stuff. And Kevin Kelly, not to be confused with Kevin Kelly, is nails. Really? Yes. yes. I couldn't believe this either. He looks a thousand times different. He looks, when he's nails, he looks more like the other Kevin Kelly. Let's be honest. Yes. Doesn't he? Yeah. But that's blown my mind. That's what I don't yeah. know. Is that your Byron Faxton? Oh, no, no, that's coming up, baby. Don't you worry about that. Oh, I love you stuff. The team of Buddy Wolf, Doug Summers, and Kevin Kelly are accompanied by Sherry Martel, so she's putting double duty. The manageress. As uh, as the uh, as the commentator <laughs> yeah. calls her, which is a lovely old job. The match goes on for 60 minutes. Um, basically, Marty Jannetty gets the piss kicked out of him throughout the entire mm. match. After Shawn Michaels has come in uh, as the hot tag, everyone else gets involved in the match, and Doug Summers uh, gets Kevin Kelly in a small package uh, for the win at 16 minutes. Oh man, what are your thoughts? Doug Summers walking down looks absolutely hammered, <laughs> and he's not in this match probably for the first seven or eight minutes. And I thought they're not going to let him. In. And he comes in. I don't think he's hammered. I think he might just have, might just have had a nap or something like that. <laughs> and, and then he goes, come on, Doug. Come on. Uh, uh, just a sexy boy. So, fucking hell. So, I'll tell you what happens in this match. Marty Jannetty gets beaten up. For six months. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. And they tease the hot tag. It must be until about the 10, 12 minute mark. They tease this hot tag beautifully. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to pop off. When this goes... But it goes on so long as a viewer, all these years later, I was like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck if he dies in the ring now. <laughs> I, don't care, I don't care if they beat him so hard. He's in a bloody mess. But uh, the crowd still go bananas for it. But they've done it again. It's over like that. I'm, I'm glad that Ray, I almost called him Ray Andrews then. <laughs> who that is. But, uh, yeah, it's like I'll a state agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad he got the pin. I pretty much knew he was going to get the pin. But uh, I thought this was crap. The best bit about it was Janetti gets thrown. This is only about a minute from the end. He gets thrown into the turnbuckle and he takes the Michaels bump over the top. But it's like that on steroids because he fucks over. It looks like he could genuinely hurt himself. Shawn Michaels then goes around to check on him for quite a long time. So I do wonder if he was actually a little bit like shaken by it. But yeah, this is oh, 
Bloody heck. He hit the turnbuckle so hard on that bump. It sounded like the ring was going to collapse, like legitimately. Yeah. It mm. like made a horrid noise. So I think he probably took it slightly wrong, perhaps. Mm. Um, Steve? Uh, oh, this was... Joe. You know what I say? I'll let you on a secret. I watched up until the end of the Hennigan um, Bockwinkle last week. And I watched the final hour this week. So I was like, oh, this, match, this match must be good next. I want to watch it with fresh eyes. So I watched this earlier on today. And I shouldn't have bothered with that week, basically. I should just watched it all in one go because it was just not very good at all. I wondered whether the magnificent Kevin Kelly, to give his full name, he was just jacked to the gills. And I wondered how much of that physique might have been the special protein shakes that lots of guys used to do in the 80s. Because <laughs> otherwise, why is Vincent Mann covering this guy up in orange prison overalls? And I thought you'd find another... Because he was... He, he looked with Lex Luger. He was, he was massive, yeah. wasn't he? he? He was really, really big. Um, and Janetti threw a drop kick, drop kick at him during this uh, that I suspect he was supposed to move for to make it look like he'd missed, but he just stood there and Janetti hit thin air. So it was just, it was, yeah, not, not a great, not a great spot there. Um, I thought this was plodding, dismal, not fun. Um, albeit during the extended beatdown of Janetti, I was able to book some days off work. So every cloud. <laughs> well, hang on. So it was so bad you had to book some leave. Yeah, absolutely. I literally was like, well, there's, because there's only, I was thinking, you know, I want to try and I try and pay as much attention as possible on these. And you, and you, you guys have reviewed loads of shows, but there is, if, if someone's in an, in an arm block or something, it's like, well, I, I need to do this. So I just had it on. And I, and I was like, well, great. I've done all those three days and he's still in the same bloody rest holes. I thought, brilliant. I've not missed anything here. <laughs> but this is just, the, the, the wrestling on this show, we touched on earlier on, I just think the style of this promotion, this is not a work rate promotion, I don't think, at all. If you look at some, some of the stuff in Mid-South, you see even the um, you know, the arena stuff and the, the longer match stuff rather than the TV, it's much better working promotion. When we talked about um, Steamboat and Randy Savage during this year, which is just a few weeks before this. Wyndham and Flair were smashing out um, classics in NWA at this point. This is not a work rate promotion for some reason. And, it, and, it, and it, yeah, the wrestling was... I think you've got Shawn Michaels and Martin Jetty early in their career here. It's like a nothing... Yeah, just Shawn a nothing Michael, match, isn't it? Shawn Michaels is, is not in the match at all until mm. the end. It's like, what an absolute waste. Yeah, an absolute completely. waste. A, a second or third, actually, what everyone says there. Um, I've got to make a quick mention about Buddy Wolf. He is a B&M home bargains highly race, judging on, <laughs> judge on, on his appearance. And I bet he's absolutely rubbish at a buffet. Um, <laughs> there's a bit of a sensational Cheryl, just Sherry again. I keep calling her sensational, even though she's not. But just she's saying something to um to Doug Summers outside, and she adjusts his knee pad. She's like, yeah. oh, your knee pad's not on properly, and pulls <laughs> up, which I really enjoyed. I actually thought that that the step back to avoid the drop kick, I thought that was intentional because I thought kind of like, nope, it's not taking that and walk back. I thought it was. Oh, cool. really? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Might be. But I think someone basically seconds everything that we all said because someone in the crowd at one point just goes, this is a fucking disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Which is maybe Didier Drogba was in the crowd. I'm crap. so pleased that's made the, the WWE Network version. That's excellent. It's lovely stuff. And Sherry, again, the reason why she's she's so amazing. Um, did I give her my MVP? No, I didn't. I gave it to the to give it to the ring announcer, didn't I? Yeah. But she a contender for me because there's a bit where Marty is getting the piss knocked out of him and she's just there giving the faces loads of stick on the outside and she just starts going, give them what they want. <laughs> <Which is laughs> the one thing that did annoy me about it a little bit as well is that the, the typical thing that happens in a lot of tag matches is that Marty McFly is basically getting killed for the entire match. He makes a tag, 
Within three seconds, he's back on his feet. Admittedly, still selling the leg, which is good, but there's no way he should be up on his feet and recovered with that little amount of time. So that kind of, yeah, kind of ruined it for me. This isn't a good match, and it's 16 minutes, and the 14 and a half minutes are just Marty Jannetty getting beaten up. It's not a a fun watch. And ultimately, the tag, it's not quite as bad in this match, but even the hot tag doesn't have enough time given to it to for you to thoroughly appreciate it. I'm glad you said about Janetti's leg because that was exactly what I noticed is that he's up and he's not selling it and then he seems to remember he's like oh yeah I've just been worked over for about three months and he's <laughs> like right I better sell this and then after the match he's selling it like an absolute trooper he's almost under the ring Titus O'Neill like mm. where he rolls out of the ring he's under the ring then Shawn Michaels comes around and good old Ray Stevens comes around and he's patting him on the back he's like you're right kid you're right kid so I'm guessing he talks like and Shawn Michaels is there he's like oh, can we go get drunk please come on come on Marty can we go get drunk please but yeah what a fucking waste yeah that's the biggest was, that's the biggest takeaway of this match a fucking waste yeah I was borderline angry watching this I thought we were going to get four or five minutes of cracking stuff mm. now we get about 40 seconds of crap and then a really shit roll up well, speaking about seconds of crap, the next match we've got is uh, Jerry the Crusher Blackwell versus Boris Zukov. Boris Zukov has got the Sheik in his corner and Jerry the Crusher Blackwell has got his paedophile friend with him. So why they decided to put all of the combatants from the opening match on the outside of this and literally do nothing on the outside is beyond me, but there we go. The match goes on for, do you know what, I haven't taken this actually, made notes of it. The match goes on for... Oh really? Well, precisely ten minutes, according to um, according wow. to Wikipedia. I didn't um, stop watching this. I stole the times from Cage Match, so I'm professional <laughs> watching it. I do love the thought of you there. I do have a stopwatch. It's sad. It is to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, apparently, allegedly goes on for, for for ten minutes or twelve minutes, depending on where you get your your timings <laughs> from. And it ends when basically Zhukov is in the ring, and so and the Shiki baby gets into the ring as well, and old. Jerry, the crusher, Blackwell hits them both with a double clothesline and then uh, he pins Zhukov. Zhukov, I don't know how you pronounce it, for a very underwhelming win of that match. Who wants to put their bollocks on the line and try and pick something out of this match? I tell you what, I'll bring the positive because the positive is this week's Tyron Faxton of the Week. So, in 2003, PWI ranked their 100 best tag teams of the PWI years. And ranked number 75 of the 100 were Jerry Bakewell Tart and my favourite and yours, Ken Patera. Tyron Faxton of the Week. So, what about the match, old man? Oh, no, that's the positive. I'm now okay. going to hand to our illustrious, now naked, co <laughs> Stephen. It's very, very warm in this room. And. Um, <laughs> Oh, this is awful. The ring announcer had to say this is the semi-main event of the evening or semi-final, whatever, and must have been like, this is just, what am I doing in my life? And I've, I've heard of Blackwell, but I've never seen him, I don't think. And, and he looked like a slightly thinned down version of Giant Haystacks. Rod said that Zukov was jerking and tugging away at one point, but then he added <laughs> a little too quickly... He added the word arm, which ruined the potential carry-on type moment. Um, Rod is is old classic. He loves to run through the production people. And he did this again during this match. But he clearly forgot one of the surnames because he dragged the first name. I can't remember what it was like. Uh, Dave Smith, Tom Phillips. No, it wasn't that, not, not that Tom Phillips. I've gone there. And he's gone uh, Malcolm <laughs> Brown. 
and moved on because <laughs> obviously he forgot what it was. This was just so dull. With these shows, what you what you need is you need comically bad, you need newsworthy or something really good. But the worst, the death, the death is just boring and nothing there and nothing really to talk about. And that's what this was. This was another dreadful wrestling match, I thought. <laughs> this is just mystifying. So Jerry Blink, fuck no, Jerry Blinkwell, uh, Jerry Blink, Jerry Hallowell, <laughs> yeah. Ginger Spice is four hundred and twenty-four pounds, I think it is. He's described as being. He's held down by Boris Sukov, who I must say is in cracking shape, but he's held down by him with an armbar for about two minutes. I'm like, what is this? This enormous man can't get out of a fucking armbar. And then I was just like, oh, and then they lost me. And then, oh, just shit. Just shit. There's no other word for it. It's just it was terrible. It's terrible. Terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible. Yeah. I've got no notes on this at all. Apart from the fact that Jerry looks like he's about to head down to the hatchet for a couple of beers, <laughs> which, is, which is a very Bristol-based joke. No, I, I, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'll take your word for that one. It's all right, yeah. The Hatchet's a pub in the centre of Bristol that has got a very heavy metal crowd and he, okay. he looks like he would fit right in there. Um, Sheik does call someone someone in the crowd a big time Billy, which I quite <laughs> like. Don't really know what that means, but I've got a lot of time for that. And the only other thing that I've got to mention about this really is the fact that um, Zhukov's hair is pretty impressive, completely bold, but just with the back bit. And it's kind of in a ponytail, but not really. This match is absolute shit. And one thing I did want to say, though, is that the crowd do seem to be quite into the old Bakewell tyre as well, which, again, is mystifying. And, and there, there are certain things that you can kind of like. So I've never seen a good match involving the Junkyard Dog. Technically, I don't know if there are many. You can correct me if I'm wrong, because he's very much in your wheelhouse, Stephen. So I'll defer to you. But I can see why people like him. I can see his charisma. I can see his his connection to the crowd with what minimal things I've seen of him. I can see why you would like him. I don't get that at all from Jerry Blackwell. I do not understand what he brings to the table whatsoever. So rubbish match with rubbish wrestlers and a nonce on the outside, which I, again, now makes it even worse. The kicker. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a particularly good junkyard dog match, but I think he was probably past. Well, I only started mid-south in 83, so he was around a few years before, probably a bit better, and probably less on some of the things that um, attracted he was attracted to, shall we say, around that time. But yeah, I, he had charisma, didn't he? And that's, that's the difference, I suppose. I think this guy didn't have that level at all. Well, what's interesting is uh, he was like, I just read it about old Big Well. Uh, he was a main eventer. Mm. So we fought Hogan, Mad Dog for Sean, Bruiser Brody, Sheikh Adnan Casey. So apparently he was in the main event at one point. And Christ. as uh, as Tommy said earlier, he also fought the other cr- crusher. Lovely. And he was also, and this really got me going because I love a bit of this. Oh, Jerry Blackwell competed in the 1979 World Strongest Man Contest. But with Girardi in the competition due to an injury. Oh, sad story. <laughs> He's one of those guys that is massive but doesn't look strong. Mm. You know, a bit like King Kong Bundy. I never thought the King Kong Bundy ever looked strong either. He's just a mass. Yeah, he looked like um, he looked like a space hopper, didn't he? <laughs> or Bundy. So <laughs> uh, you can grab his legs and have a lovely little bounce around. <laughs> <laughs> 
so that is the co-main event. It is an absolute disaster of a, of a co-main event. And fair play to my beloved MVP of the night for having the audacity. I reckon it was like a joke. He was like, this is the uh, co-main <laughs> event. So we now get our main event, which is um, the terrorist and the mercenary versus Jimmy Snucker and Russ Francis, who is apparently a tight end for the uh, San Francisco uh, Giants football team. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, my, my yeah. mistake. Giants of the baseball team. The match um, lasts for approximately 12 minutes. Again, very precise on Wikipedia. But Stephen, what have you what have you got for it? 12 minutes. Lovely Ooh. stuff. Synergy. That's what I like <laughs> about this podcast. And the match ends when the baby faces hit tandem splash as well. I say a splash. So um, Jimmy Snooker obviously hits a lovely splash on uh, one of the hills, the mercenary or the terrorist. I wasn't able to get which one because they both look very similar. And then uh, big Russ Francis kind of jumps lands on his feet and then falls gently on him mm. and they win the match and then they all carry on fighting outside the ring for a little bit uh let's get steve on this one um so the mercenary was tennessee stud ron fuller and the terrorist was brian Nobbs. Mm. believe it or not so uh russ francis was in the wrestlemania 2 battle royal and this was his last ever wrestling match he looked at the crowd and the cow palace and thought i'm never doing this shit ever again <laughs> rod trongard said that Colonel De Beers was supposed to be in this match, but he was injured somehow in South Africa. Now, I've said that word for word, and that was Rod's <laughs> actual explanation. Somehow in South Africa. Don't know. haven't heard from him. I'll take this into a bit of a dark turn here, but then there's going to be some light at the end. Just a, just a, just a pre-warning. So I had a look up. Or I, I wanted to look up how long Jimmy Snooker had been out of the WWF, because it's quite interesting. Because I had a bit of falling out with Vince. Um, so I typed Jimmy into Google and it auto-filled into Jimmy Savile. So another horrendous human called Jimmy's go along with Snooker. Um, and then I tried to think of some Jimmy's that I liked. And I can only think of Jimmy White. Um, although I still haven't forgiven him for not potting that black in Stephen Hendry in 1975. I don't know if you two are Snooker fans at all. <laughs> uh, and I don't know why I did it to myself. But I went back on YouTube to watch that moment where Jimmy White, final frame of the World Champions 94, he's at the table, he's got, all he's got to do is clear it, he's won the world title and he missed. So are there any his, historic sporting moments that when you watch them back, you just wince with pain? This will probably hit old man a lot a lot harder with me, but I remember watching Dean Windass score that volley against Bristol City in the playoffs, which oh, is yeah. a magnificent goal, but it's pretty, pretty grim. I also think uh, Andreas Iniesta hitting that long-range shot against Chelsea in the quarterfinals of the Champions League in 2008 I believe or 2009 maybe 2010 it might be 2010 and that's the it's a fucking disgrace game yeah, which, I meant, yeah. which, I, which I referenced earlier and that that makes me wince every time I watch it because it's just one lax clearance from Michael Essien away from a great victory against the Barcelona at their peak got a couple I can't remember the year but a guy was playing for Bristol City called Lee Miller Scottish lad. Did all right, actually, for the city. But we're away at Swindon. It's throw on goal last minute. And uh, he just got it, rolled it past the keeper in the post, don't we? And I think we missed out on promotion by about two points that year. We'd finished third two seasons in a row, I think. And that was the season that I believe we got to the playoff final and then played abysmally. But also, Paul Gascoigne. I was sliding so in Euro yeah, 96. So the yeah. penalty don't get me. The no. penalty don't get me at all. But uh, that slide in. Because mm. he said after the game, he was like, well, if that was Shearer, he'd have got it, like, because he's got the instincts. <laughs> and Shearer and, went, hey, you're not wrong, lad. <laughs> and, and the interviewer went, but it wasn't. <laughs> and um, you've let yeah. us down again. 
Yeah, I was thinking about your Jimmy comment, and I was thinking about Jimmy's, and there's there aren't many, are there, that I can think of? Because there's obviously Jimmy Havoc, who's a wrong one, yeah. Um, in wrestling, uh, there's obviously I don't I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Carr. Don't really like Jimmy Carr. Um, I there's a Jimmy Butler who plays for the Miami Heat. He's a bit of a scumbag. Don't really like him. Jimmy Bullard, left Fulham. But yeah. Too so much now. Yeah, he's another bit of a on the fence in that one. Yeah, he's he's very hit or miss. I yeah. I don't I don't I tell I do quite like Jimmy Fallon. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, very nice man, I'd say. Yeah. Hopefully he's not been cancelled by the time this uh, this podcast yeah, comes out. Turns, Sorry, turns, Jimmy Fallon, lovely guy. Yeah, this is an awful news story that's come out. So yeah. yeah. Turns out he's been hanging out with old Bob Zumphole or whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking about Jimmy White. It's brought me back to a little little story. So way back when, probably a decade or so ago, I was uh, I was doing some freelance writing. Work. But when I say freelance writing work, I was trying to do some freelance writing work. But I wrote a bit for Loaded magazine, if people mm. remember. And mm. so as a good friend of the show, Forty, kind of hooked me up with Loaded. And I said about doing a piece about the uh, Snooker World Championships. I said, great. So I contacted uh, Jimmy White's agent. said what they wanted is they wanted a sit down in a London snooker hall with Jimmy White, Ronnie O'Sullivan, and then me. I don't know why I was there. So I got a trouble getting in touch with uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, just completely blanked. But Jimmy White's agent was like, yeah, cool, there's Jimmy White's phone number. Okay, <laughs> that's fucking weird. So I then called him and he was like, oh, so what, what, what are you looking to do? And I was like, well, I was to have a chat before the World Championships and like just like talk about obviously your history and stuff like that and then talk about the current tournament. And he was like, oh, yeah, um, yeah I'm just going to just gonna get on a plane at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, let's sort some out when I'm back. Then wouldn't return my calls. Uh... Found out why is that he was basically flying out to do the qualifiers, his last uh... chance of qualifying, and he didn't qualify. I just imagine if we'd organised the interview. So, so, Jimmy, next week then, the World, the world Championships, you excited? He's like, no, I'm not playing, mate. I like to think, like, like Danhausen, you put a little bit of a curse on him. Yeah. And that's why well, he his... didn't win. Telephone number, I can't remember the first bit, but ended in 147. There we go. Which is the maximum breaking snooker. Which he's obviously paid for, I think, isn't it? Because there was a yeah. time where there were a lot of phone numbers, yet, and they were going around like 007 was a lot of money and all that mm. sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, he's paid for that. So, Stephen, what did you think about this match? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. We've, well, I've, <laughs> we've gone big tangent there. Um, I've, even, I've even scrolled too far forward in my notes now. Um, oh, basically, one, one of the other one of the other sporting moments that would make you kind of r- like wretch if you had to watch again is this show, Super Clash Two. Um, so <laughs> yeah, um, Snooker was gone for the WF from June '85 to April uh, 1989. I thought this match was crap. There we go. The end. Yeah. So I've I've got a couple quite a few notes on it, but they're all it's all kind of really about how tedious it is. Mm-hmm. Um. So I've written for a start. At this stage, this is the sixth, seventh match, the final match of the night. And I'm getting very, very annoyed at how long all the matches are taking to start. They're all taking an absolute age to start. I'm assuming this is the main event because of Russ Francis. I'm assuming that's, yes, what, I think so. that's, I'm yeah. assuming that's why he's the main event. Um, and the crowd are very much up for him. And to be fair, the hot tag is pretty hot for when he comes into the ring. But it's fucked up by some poor timing from the terrorist. 
of which they're notorious for bad timings, are the terrorists. Basically, he's about to get a tag, and just as he does, he gets clattered by the terrorists. And it's, and it's one of those things where it all just a bit clunky and all just kind of falls. I must admit, for a football player, I wouldn't say that his ring work is of a lower standard than most of the other wrestlers on the card. No. Like, he didn't he didn't stand out as a non-wrestler. But yeah, it wasn't very good. And again, the fact that they carry on fighting outside the ring after it ends, there's no... There's there's been no moments of glory on this card at all from anyone, and that's that's a bit of a problem for me because what you want is I'd sometimes don't get me wrong every now and again if there's like a blood feud going on I can understand why you might say do you know what let's keep a little bit of the action going especially if the face has been wronged by the heel carry on having a little fight let the babyface go out on top and then they can bathe in their glory in the ring even though they didn't win the match that doesn't happen at all and even when people do win the matches there's no celebration at all so it ultimately feels like nothing really means anything and that is kind of prevalent throughout this entire card this match is not very good and i must admit i was a little bit scared because there's still about 10 minutes left on the wwe network video what do you think old man well you've raised a really good point about the lack of winning like the people who win like we just talked we talked about the midnight rockers and ray stevens ray stevens they fucking love him but he wins with the roll-up and then they're immediately checking on janae so there's no celebration so obviously nothing in the title match. Uh, there's not a celebration in the uh, ladies match. That pedophile does some in the first match. There's obviously the time limit draw. Jerry Blackwell's not capable of celebrating. He's too gassed by this point. That's a very, very good point. And I think that does very much play in. So I watched up until the end of the Midnight Rockers last night. And then I watched the last two matches this morning. And it was about... 40 minutes left it's the longest 40 minutes <laughs> i've had i've had watching a show on this podcast it was horrendous and this match is terrible snooker i mean forget his private life he's got to be the workhorse here he's got to be the guy putting the fucking work in he looks like he's not only on a beach but he's got a margarita in one hand the guilt of death in the other and he's fucking awful. He is horrendous in this. But he is also symptomatic of everyone else on this card, I think. Where you said, Stephen, it's not a workers thing. They're not working. Hennig Bockwinkel, Sherry and Medusa, 100% are working. Yeah, I agree. Giannetti as well, can't fault it. The amount that he's selling around. The referees are working hard. Your boy doing the ring announce, and he's working hard. Old trombone lad. He's working hard. Ray Stevens pulls double duty, as does Sherry. But in ring, it's so poor. And this match is kind of, if I was a camel and there was a straw placed on my back, I would have collapsed to the floor and shit myself. Right. That is the wrap up for the main event. And as I said, we've still got 10 minutes left on this card. The announcer is at the ring on Ron Trombone, and he is joined by Larry Zabisco, who says there's no controversy at all. That Bockwinkel was pinned and is complaining about Stanley Blackburn. Larry Zabisco says they'll fight Kurt or Bock for the title. And I guess the point where Larry starts stumbling over his words and says that he's been blackballed and shafted, basically. What I find quite interesting about this, he says he'll fight Bockwinkel or Kurt Hennig for the title. Why the fuck did you give Kurt Hennig the foreign object then to hit him with? It basically undercuts his involvement in the entire match. What was the point in that? Mm. We then get another interview. It fades to black. And I'm like, oh, we're done. Oh, no, we're back again. Commentator is drawn by Snooker and Russ Francis, where they talk about the world title picture. Russ couldn't see much and says that Kurt Hennig shouldn't get a title if he's cheated. Snooker says that uh, Larry Zbysko is dirty and this is the sort of thing we expect from him. And he'd like to see the main event happen again. Fuck me. Now, <laughs> Blackwell 
is there with the announcer. He explains that hitting someone with quarters is like getting hit by a rock. He doesn't care who's got the title, but he'd like a shot at it. He then plugs some appearances he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't think that Larry Zabisco could beat Nick Bockwinkle or Kurt Hennig anyway. Finally, <sighs> Nick Bonk- Bockwinkle... Fuck me. <laughs> Finally, Nick Bong... Bock- <laughs> 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 I don't blame you because this is the one of the longest 10 minutes of my entire life. That's awful. Nick. It was awful. Nick Bonk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's Nick. gone now. Yeah. Nick Bockwinkle is there next and he is with the announcer and he says he doesn't like losing in the manner that he did and is waiting to hear back from Stanley Blackburn who is standing next to the announcer <laughs> looking at the corpse. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> they sound to be howling this morning. He's oh, like, I'm God. still waiting to hear back. He's fucking stood there, mate. He hasn't watched the tape yet, has he? He hasn't watched the tape. Then Stanley Blackburn then says that there are six promoters on the committee and they will make their decision in the next few days. So as you said, Stephen, they've they've extended it a little bit from the last time. <laughs> Finally, we get big Ron Trombone on his own at the end with his sunglasses staring directly into the camera. He then recaps what happened in the championship match, says that there is no championship and it's going to be decided in the next few days, which we've just had told to us about 15 times since the event happened. That is the end of the view. Have you guys got anything about this absolute shit show at the end of the pay-per-view? Just that I really enjoyed Jerry Blackwell saying that he'd be in Marietta, not to wrestle, but just to watch a great card. So, come on down. So, we start off, and Zabisco is great until he completely loses his way, like you said, Tommy. It's like he just, like, someone's he's talking, and then someone's like, yeah, keep it going, mate. And he's like, oh, I don't really know what to do. I mean, stuck here in Francis. I've just won the last match on the card. And old Ronald, he's not fucking interested in that. He's like, how about that world title then? I'd just be like, I don't give a fuck, mate. I'm not fighting for it, am I? And then, like you said about Blackwell, legend. Absolute fucking legend. Popping himself. And... (laughs) As people will have heard, the Bockwinkle and Stan stuff just made me laugh because it was so fucking stupid. This is just a dreadful, dreadful last hour or so. Like, really... Shocking, yeah. Nightmare-type stuff. This is the end of the pay-per-view. Uh, we've got through it. Well done, lads. We've got through it all together. We've had everyone's match of the night. I've given my MVP. Old man's given his MVP. Have you given yours, Stephen? No, my MVP of the night is Rod Trongard sunglasses as wearing them meant he didn't have quite as clear a view as someone without <laughs> sunglasses would have at one of the worst wrestling shows I've ever seen. So, Rod Trombone sunglasses MVP. They are a very well deserved MVP, I think. How have we got this far without talking about old Ron's hair? <laughs> I, I think there's so much other bad hair that we yeah. don't, uh, that, that it gets it gets forgotten, gets negated. Hmm. It, it looks like the Chubba Chubbs tongue. The Chubba Chubbs tongue? It, no tongue. <laughs> <laughs> the, ch- the Chubba Chubbs tongue is something altogether different. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Fucking hell, Jesus Christ. I was like, what's old man on about? He's lost his marbles. Um, <laughs> well, no, I don't think they actually use it anymore. I might have just made a fool of myself. Oh, well. Never mind. Oh, well. This happened. I'd- Either way, if there is a Chubba Chubbs tongue, that's what his hair fucking looks like. So deal with it. So let's give our final scores then. Um, Steve, I know you're, you've been glowing with praise. Uh, what is your final score? Can I give this one out of 10 for Sherry and Medusa? Yeah, I'm going one out of 10. There I'm go. very close to zero. Did, did the WrestleMania 10, sorry, WrestleMania 1-0 that Matt gave, I haven't finished that show yet. Did that stick? 
by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I, I weren't, I weren't very happy with, to be honest. Yeah, but I, I think this is probably, that's better than this, but this is a one for me, yeah. Okay, lovely stuff. And old man. See, I can't give this a one because it's got Hannigan Bockwinkle, which I fucking loved. And I would, without the shenanigans, I'd watch that again. Hmm. And Sherry and Medusa is very decent stuff. I could give this a three. I think that's, that's fair. I think giving it a two. Um, no, I'm going to give it a three because although it's not in the main event spot, these two are the main events and they're very good. So so this this is a really weird, really weird event to watch because it's basically it's a, it's a sandwich with a lovely filling, but absolutely repulsive bread, isn't it? So I'm going to give this a three as well on the strength of those two matches alone. I, I did enjoy it. Do you know what? I'm actually going to be over generous. I'm giving it, going to give it a four because um, Hennig and Botwinkle massively surpassed my expectations of it, as did uh, Sherry Martel versus Medusa Michelli. So I'm going to give it a four based on the strength of those two matches because those two matches I did thoroughly enjoy everything about that, apart from the shenanigans at the end of the, the title match. It's 26 minutes of the show, the cut heading, Nick, but it's a big chunk of the show that I enjoyed, admittedly. Mm-hmm the rest of it surrounding it was turd um so that's why i'm giving gonna give that a four that is the end of the show for this week i'd like to point everyone in the direction of our social media accounts at rwr pod uk on instagram and twitter and you can also find us on facebook and instagram give us a rate and review we would really appreciate it and all that's left for me to say thank you very much Stephen, for joining us today thank you all i think you guys do a great job i'm a big fan i love coming on sam tom ben matt i look forward to hearing lots more and hopefully when my kind of quarterly uh, appearance comes on please give me a better show please just give me something good come on please please <laughs> we'll do our best to make sure <laughs> that doesn't happen and uh, old man thank you very much for joining us today mate thank you uh, unfortunately i can smell the turd that tinky is cooking up for you for your next <laughs> appearance already can't wait but enough some, about that enough some 2000 wcw please at least that would be pretty <laughs> more fun actually to be fair but there we go yeah anyway enough about 2000 wcw all you've got to do is rate review and remember part of the 75th best tag team according to the pwi years poll that some cunt put together ken patera and it's all left for me to say goodbye everyone thank you and see you next week